Hello, and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Welcome to the show, everyone. This is Treks in Sci-Fi, show number 65 for July 30th, 2006. Going to get back on track with a fairly normal episode this week. We're going to look at a, an original series Star Trek episode, along with some other news from Comic-Con and a collectible uh, discussion and the usual sci-fi geekiness. So stand by. Here we go. Treks in Sci-Fi. I realize that Command does have its fascinations. Might as well admit it, Mr. Spock. Your precious logic brought them down on us. Mr. Spock, you're a stubborn man. Well, hello again, everyone. This is Rico, and of course, this is Trex in Sci-Fi. I'd like to welcome everyone to the show this week. I'd like to welcome everyone who might be a new listener out there. Or if you're a long-term listener, welcome back. It's uh, It's been a good week for me, and I've just got a few kind of general topics of discussion and a few announcements to uh, discuss before we really get into things. The first thing I want to mention, uh, the last couple of days, I've been kind of endeavoring to clean up and make sure the transition of my web uh, site gets uh, taken care of properly. Basically, what's happened is the web host I use which is called uh, PowerWeb or PowerWeb.com, has moved uh, everyone from uh, one set of servers to another server. Everyone that they host on their web servers, they're moving everyone basically to upgraded, new, better, faster, stronger uh, servers for the, all their websites that they host there. They were having some difficulty for some reason moving my site. It was flagging them errors. They would move all the files over on the test server, and it was giving them some errors. I had to go in and kind of manually do a few things, and basically what I did is I I flipped uh, to the new server a couple of days back, I think on Friday, to uh, and now all the DNS and how all you know this is not real, not going to get into deep tech talk here, but by this point in time, if you're pulling up the website at treksf or treksinsci-fi.com, everything should be coming off the new server. Uh, what I when I meant the reason I'm really mentioning this mainly is. I've checked some things out, and everything seems to be running pretty smoothly, but I'm kind of counting on the people that view the website, the forum members, uh, other listeners of the podcast, to please, if you're having any trouble uh, with the feeds, downloading this podcast or past shows, or anything on the website that seems a little out of the ordinary over the next few days, the next upcoming week especially, please send me an email at treksf at gmail.com and let me know what your troubles are and and maybe I can uh, take a look at it. I, I'm hoping everything's good and everything's in place and it should be working okay. But if you, if you see a problem and it doesn't kind of, you know, it stays that way, something that you can't view or can't download, please let me know and I will try to uh, fix it. So I'd really appreciate anything uh, that you guys might find on that. It'll help my job out. Uh, but right now, like I said, everything seems like it's working pretty good and I should be, should everything in, should be in good shape, uh, I hope. I've uh, still been, uh, this past week, still kind of getting my feet back on the ground, uh, literally and figuratively, after my uh, recent long trip uh, overseas to Taiwan. Uh, it's still 
just, you know, the last week going to work and everything like that, I was kind of dragging a little bit more than normal. Uh, It's finally, I think I've gotten to the point where I'm over the whole jet lag and I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, Although today I'm kind of, I just got out uh, this morning before I'm podcasting and, and cut my grass and I don't know about everyone else, but it looks like in most of the United States and other parts of the world, uh, this summer is really uh, forming a, a big heat wave everywhere. And in Michigan, where I live right now, the past few days have been pretty warm. We're up in the 90s with uh, a very high level of humidity. So I just uh, cut the grass and I'm just dripping wet. Came in, took a shower, grabbed a little lunch, and now I'm podcasting. So I just... Uh, I want to send out my sympathies to everyone out there that's that's enduring the heat of this summer, wherever you might be. I, I hope uh, you can stay cool. I hope uh, you can live in a little air conditioning. It's uh, it's it's pretty wicked out there, so, so be careful and, and, and drink a lot of fluids, a lot of water. It, it does help. Well, it looks like last, uh, last weekend's Comic-Con went out. Uh, and took off pretty well with uh, all their events. There was some Star Trek, a little bit of Star Trek news coming out of that uh, situation. A few things on the DVD front. Uh, the The primary ones are the, that they are still uh, endeavoring that they've got a, a set release date for the Star Trek animated series. I'm trying to recall if I've mentioned this before, but it looks like it's coming out towards the end of November, uh, both seasons on DVD, which that's good news. They are also talking that they are remastering, or whatever you want to call it, uh, going to uh, remaster, reissue all of the Star Trek movies in high definition. I'm not sure if it's going to be uh, Blu-ray or if it's going to be HD, DVD, but they've got that in the works. Uh, No release dates that I know of for the movies in in HD. You know, I think the the HD format eventually will catch on, but I think they've got to improve the technology a bit. And make it more, uh, or not, or make it less, I should say, expensive. Uh, right now, Blu-ray especially is very expensive, and the HD players that I've heard, the early ones that are out, the HD DVD players have some have some bugs and glitches and things like that. So I'm, I usually, I'm one of the people with high-tech stuff, gadgets and things like this. I usually adopt this kind of thing, well, usually pretty quickly when it first comes out. But I'm, I'm definitely holding off on this. Uh, plus, I still have to get an HD. Uh, television to to view them it won't do me much good without an hd tv to view this stuff on so anyway i'm waiting uh maybe when they do release star trek on on hd it'll be the uh the you know the initiative for me to go out and do this take the plunge and they're also doing uh, they're also announcing that they're redoing all the original series at least star trek episodes the three tos seasons in hd and you know i the, these these series, uh, you know, the original series especially, that'll be like the third time it'll be put out on DVD. And I don't know. I, I, I you know, I love the original series. I love the episodes. And it would, you know, maybe be great to have them in HD. But I, I don't, I just don't see myself going out and buying a lot of these, the DVDs that I do have right now, again, on in HD. A few select ones, perhaps. Hopefully, they won't just be in DVD sets. Maybe you can be able to buy individual episodes. I don't know. Uh, and, and certainly with movies, it'll be easy. You can pick and choose which movies to buy. But with the TV series, I, I, I own a lot of, obviously, this Trek series on DVD and other and other stuff. But I don't see people going out and really replacing all their, their DVDs with HD ones. But I'm getting off on a little bit of a tangent. 
Oh, the other uh, the other news at Comic Con. It's been announced before, though. Also, they talked a little bit uh, about the Star Trek manga, which is the Japanese uh, style uh, comic style that they're gonna they're gonna do a Star Trek manga book comic coming out. Uh, I think it's the first uh, issue book of it. It should be out in September, from what I've read. I've seen some early artwork for it. Uh, I'm a comic book fan. I, I enjoy Marvel, DC. I, re- I read quite a few each month. And I've always, usually, if there's a Star Trek book out, I'll, I'll pick it up. If you know Star Wars, I tend to follow also, kind of periodically. I don't, I don't follow all of them, but we'll see how this works out. I, I, I do like, you know, the manga art style, so this might be a good, a good uh, matchup of Star Trek and manga together. So we'll see how that turns out. Oh, I also wanted to mention to the the forum members out there, uh, there's a new issue that has been sent out of the, our resident uh, Horizon newsletter writer, uh, Morax, uh, from the website uh, and from the forums, sent out just a new issue with a lot of good sci-fi and Trek information in that. Uh, if you want to, uh, right now with this newsletter, I'm sending, uh, emailing this out to all forum members. So if you want to get a copy of this, and Morales has been kind of busy with things lately, but I think his, still his plan is to put this out as a weekly newsletter. And that's uh, what, you know, there may be a week or two here missed, missed now and then, but that's the plan with all the sci-fi news and, and Trek information. So if you want to get the uh, newsletter, sign up uh, to be a member of the forums and you will be getting that. Okay, let's uh, let's shift gears. I want to talk about a couple of emails and then we'll be getting into our uh, a normal Trek episode uh, commentary segment. It's now time for some email on Trex in Sci-Fi. Okay, the uh, first email that I wanted to mention, this is from uh, Christian Schwab. Christian says, hey, Rico, I'm Chris. I'm a 22-year-old student from Bavaria, Germany, and basically just wanted to say hi to you. I discovered your, just discovered your podcast last week when I was looking for Star Trek-related podcasts and was only instantly taken to it. I started to listen my way through your archive. I usually download the podcast into my MP3 player and listen to them while working out. I've been a huge Star Trek fan all my life and looking forward to more of your podcast. Keep up the good work. Best, Chris. Yeah, Chris, uh, thanks a lot for your email. I was actually in Germany, in the, the even in Bavaria, that area a little bit, uh, last summer in June. And beautiful, beautiful country. Love the mountains and people were great. Food was great. So uh, it's always really nice to listen and hear from uh, people from other countries. I have a little uh, map uh, that shows up on the main webpage that, that picks up uh, what countries are viewing my website, and uh, I'm assuming a lot of those are also downloading the podcast, so I can get a pretty good idea of, of what countries are, are listening, and there's there's quite a few countries right now that are represented, a lot of Europe, uh, of course the United States, South America, you know, a little bit in Africa, not much, you know, some in Asia, but not much in the uh, like Soviet Union area, so uh, that's... Uh, that's a little surprising, but anyway, uh, yeah, thanks a lot for your email, Chris. I, I really appreciate hearing from you. We got another uh, email. Uh, this relates to last week's podcast. It's from Ila. I'm, I think I'm saying that, Ila. Uh, he says, hey, Rico. This is from Xi, uh, actually. Welcome back from Taiwan. I'd love to go there someday. Uh, shoot, I'd love to go anywhere someday. One day I'll get out of the continental U.S., Thanks so much for spotlighting the original Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers, two of my all-time favorite TV shows. I know I'm in the tiny, tiny minority, but I just refuse to watch the new Battlestar. I love the original so much, just broke my heart when they reimagined it. To me, the original wasn't broken. It didn't need reimagining. Of course, Starbuck was one of my first crushes. Ah, Dirk Benedict. 
Starbuck is not a woman. I don't remember if you've mentioned being a comic fan before. Oh, yes, yes, I am, actually, Ela. And But in a few months, there's going to be a new series of classic Battlestar Galactica coming out from Dynamite, uh, Dynamite Comics. I guess this is a new comic series based on the original Battlestar, uh, the same outfit that does the modern Battlestar Galactica series. I can't wait. Ah, Dirk Benedict, bye. Uh, thanks for your email, Ela. Yeah, you know, I was very, I was fairly resistant to the new Battlestar Galactica at first. I was a, a big, big fan of the original uh, series. I talked last week a little bit about it on the Sci-Fi TV show that I did. So it, it took, uh, it took a little bit for the new series to grow on me. It's, it's just really, you know, I would, um, if you're a fan of uh, science fiction and especially a sort of a militaristic type science fiction type thing like oh it was seen in like the aliens movie and that kind of stuff uh, i would i would suggest you give the new battlestar a try i mean it's so different than the original battlestar galactica that it's it's not really like they've they've really could they're not really messing with your memories or that series you can still enjoy the original and and the new one is like i said except for the name and some of the names of the characters they've and the sort of basic storyline but so much after that has been changed that it's, I think that uh, it's not a bad thing to really enjoy both of them. But at least that's my my take on it. So thanks, uh, thanks though, for your email, Ela, and uh, keep listening. Got one more email here, and this will wrap us up for the email section. Uh, Paul Westerville wrote, Say, Rico, welcome back from Taiwan. Happened to watch the Trek TOS episode, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, and Deep Space Nine episode, Far Beyond the Stars, in the same day. And I thought it might be interesting to compare the two episodes and how they dealt with race and between the two different uh, shows and time periods, considering the 40s to 50s depicted in the Deep Space Nine flashback was not that far away from the actual time period TOS was filmed in. I thought the Deep Space Nine show was was more thought-provoking, but I guess TOS did the best they could at the time. Uh, for your information, I'm mostly a TOS fan. I'm starting to watch more of the other series and this was the first time I'd seen the Deep Space Nine episode in question. Thanks, Paul. Um, yeah, that's a good comparison. You know, the subject of of different species and, you know, diff- people that look different and prejudice and bigotry and things like that was has always and, and continued to be throughout all the Star Trek series, always an ongoing kind of theme and subject. You know, it was very uh, close to Gene Roddenberry's original vision that in the future, you know, everyone black, white, you know, whatever you looked like, you know, with five eyes and, and tentacles or, or whatever, that that there would be wouldn't be prejudice and there wouldn't be any you know problems like that at least within the Federation primarily, and in their dealings with other aliens and that it, it came out in episodes occasionally. I did one a few weeks ago on Balance of Terror, and the um, the one guy in the episode that was very prejudiced against the Romulans because his his it had affected his family. It, and that, uh, but but by the end of it, he's he's more understanding, and, and things change. So, I think uh, that's always a good positive spin that Star Trek always tried to put out there was that everyone uh, just get along, I guess. So that's it for email. Let's shift off into Star Trek. Okay, this week uh, uh, for the Star Trek commentary area, I'm not going to play the whole episode this week. I'm, I'm going to go back to my old format for this one. But uh, I, like I said in the past, excuse me. I am going to mix it up a bit. Some some weeks I will do a full episode commentary, but this week I gathered about I guess about eight or eight or nine clips, audio clips from the episode that we're going to be talking about. And that episode is from the original Star Trek series, season one, one of the earlier episodes called. This one's called the Galileo, 
I can't talk today. The Galileo 7. This is the episode, of course, where Spock is in command of a group uh, on the shuttlecraft Galileo, and they get kind of, uh, they go through this little quasar thing in space, and it, and it messes up their the, the shuttlecraft, and they crash on this planet, and there are these big big creatures with spears and junk. If you've seen the episode, that, that should remind you what we're, which episode we're going to be talking about. Uh, so let's, uh, without any further ado, let's play the preview, uh, preview scene clip, uh, which is about a minute, I think, of the episode, The Galileo 7. Captain's log, stardate 2821.7. Seven of our shipmates still have not been heard from. Our normal searching systems, useless. Do you know what you've done? You've concerned yourself with only seven people. You said something about a needle in a haystack. It's useless. If they're not there, Commissioner, and they're dead by now. We'll use virtually every piece of equipment aboard this craft in attaining orbit. You mean three of us must stay behind? Yes. And who's to choose? As commanding officer, the choice will be mine. Prepare to abandon search. Set course for Marcus 3. Go back! It's getting hot. Okay, there you have the intro to, or the preview intro to the Galileo 7. This is a, obviously this is a very heavy uh, Spock-centered uh, episode. Let's give you a little bit of background. This was the uh, 14th episode of Star Trek produced. Counting the first two would have been the two pilot episodes. So this is pretty early still in Star Trek history. This uh, this episode also was uh, the big other thing in this episode, besides it being a Spock-heavy episode, was it introduced the, the idea of the shuttlecraft on the Enterprise, which would come into play in, in many episodes over the original series and obviously in subsequent uh, uh, Trek series. This was uh, written, or the story was originally by a guy named Oliver Crawford, Directed by Robert Gist, Gist, I guess, is his last name, G-I-S-T, which I don't recognize that director. He wasn't one of the regular directors of, of Trek. He may have done another episode I'd have to look at specifically. But the the main plotline, like I said at the beginning, uh, is it concerns a group on, on the shuttlecraft Galileo. They're, out, they're sent out to basically explore this uh, quasar phenomenon, and they, their shuttle gets sort of pulled off course, and they crash on this planet is, is what goes on. But the real, uh, you know, that's just plot devices. The, the real story about this episode is it's, it's Spock's real first chance that you see in command, uh, you know, within the Enterprise. He, he takes command, of course, over the years on the bridge and, and does a pretty good job of it, uh, you know. But he is he's really, uh, in this one, because of his, you know, strict Vulcan logic, he he's finds out throughout this episode, and I won't get too far ahead of myself, but that strict logic in command situations isn't just the necessarily the best and the only way to make decisions. That there's a lot more to it than that, and he finds some of the things he decides on logically are he really kind of makes the wrong calls a couple points throughout this episode because he he doesn't have Kirk's intuition, his Kirk's emotional state to to sort of use certain judgments and emotions in a way that can help you out in command situations and it's it's a really great episode really well written and it is uh, definitely a great episode if you're a spock fan to watch so 
And there's some really good guest stars in this. Uh, Lieutenant Boma, who is played by Don Marshall, was in a 1960s, another 1960s TV series that was pretty popular at the time called Land of the Giants. And the nice thing I, I really like about this episode is that the other people on the Galileo, Scotty's there, of course, and McCoy, which we know, but even the other characters, they're, they're, they're a little more rounded out than normal. They're not just red shirts. They don't, a couple of them do die, but they have a lot more to do, a lot more to say. And then throughout the episode, they really resist Spock and his attempts at uh, commanding them around. So it, it really, uh, really well done show. Let's get into some more of the audio. Let me play um, this first thing, which is always good to play in, in some of the early uh, parts of the episodes. Captain's log uh, entry, which will give you some background. Most of it I've already mentioned, but this is, gives you some background on what's going on. The other thing that's that's key to this episode is Kirk's back on the Enterprise and tries to search for the missing shuttle and the crew, crew members, Spock and everyone. But there is, of course, the, the Enterprise in a couple of days has to deliver some medical supplies to a, to an outpost to actually make a rendezvous. And there's a guy aboard uh, that's, um, his name is High Commissioner Ferris is his name. Commissioner Ferris, most of the time Kirk uh, refers to him. But he's pressuring Kirk to abandon the search uh, pretty much from the get-go because he's concerned about getting these supplies to where they need to go uh, on Marcus 3. So, so listen to the audio and this will explain what's going on a bit better. log stardate 2821.7. The electromagnetic phenomena known as Murasaki 312 whirls like some angry blight in space, a depressive reminder that seven of our shipmates still have not been heard from. Equally bad, the effect has rendered our normal searching systems useless. Without them, we are blind and almost helpless. I was opposed to this from the very beginning. Our flight to Marcus 3 is of the very highest priority. I'm aware of that, Commissioner. At the same time, I have certain scientific duties I must perform in investigating the Murasaki effect as one of them. Yes, but you've lost your crew. We have two days to find them. Two days? In all that? Two days? What would you have me do? Turn around and leave them there? You shouldn't have sent them out in the first place. Captain, there's one planet in this solar system capable of sustaining human life. It's Typhium. Oxygen, nitrogen, and it's listed as Taurus 2. It's unexplored. As far as we can determine with our equipment malfunction, it's just about dead center of the Murasaki effect. Thank you, Mr. Sully. Yes, sir. Set course for Taras 2. Aye, aye, sir. So there you have the, the basic setup of what's going on, which I've already described. You know, the shuttlecraft is down on this planet. Their sensors are useless because of all the interference. Communications are down. The transporters are also down. They can't transport up and down, at least at first when they arrive there. So they're they're, they're pretty much blind, deaf, and dumb, the Enterprises. And they have, they're having a, Kirk refers to uh, to it a couple times in the episode, a needle in a haystack he, he, in order to uh, find the shuttle that's um that's missing so it's it's very difficult and it's uh you know it's one of those typical things they do in trek all the time where they have all these super sophisticated you know equipment sensors scans all this kind of junk and they always end up being in areas ion storms or or quasars or or, or whatever magnetic fields or whatever's going on out there in space they you know they're always in a place when things go wrong you know, someplace none of this equipment works for them. Uh, it's uh, 
it's you know a little bit of a plot device, but it's it it gets the job done, I guess. I wanted to mention that the uh, a little bit about the Galileo. Now, as most uh, if you're into Trek quite a bit, most people will know that uh, Star Trek, the different shows on on Trek, their shuttlecrafts have always been kind of named after a series of things. Deep on the Deep Space Nine, for example, the the shuttlecraft or the shuttle. Excuse me, they were not called, uh, what were they called? I'm blanking out on what they were called. But the little shuttles they used in Deep Space Nine, sorry about that. They, they were named after rivers on Earth, if I remember correctly, the Yangtze and, and uh, I'm blanking on all the names. But they had a theme to the names. On, on the original series, they were named after both sort of explorers slash astronomers, that kind of thing. They had... Um, in this episode, they use the Galileo, and, and Kirk at one point also sends out the shuttlecraft Columbus to search for the Galileo. So, you know, Columbus, an explorer, Galileo, uh, you know, an inventor and sort of an explorer in a way of his own uh, and an astronomer, that kind of thing. There was also a shuttle uh, on the original series that was featured, I believe, in the animated series uh, once or more called Copernicus was another uh, another shuttlecraft on the original series or, or on the original Enterprise here. So... They always had an ongoing theme in the, uh, I believe on, on Next Generation, they were named after astronauts, if I remember correctly, or something like that. I have, I have to look again. Something along astronauts or astrophysicists, maybe. I think they had a, had one called the Grissom, if I remember, but I have to look again. Anyway, um, I might be mixing uh, ship names up right now, but not really the main thing. The main thing about I wanted to get across is that there was a there was sort of a method to how they named the shuttles. The shuttlecraft itself was was constructed in a couple different ways. One, they had to create a miniature for the special effects shots out in space, and that they had to also create a uh, a full scale exterior shuttlecraft Galileo for the planet scenes when they were out and around the shuttle on on the planet, and they also had to create the the sets that you see them working in the interior of the shuttlecraft, which the interior were sets that were separate from the exterior. They, you know, they weren't one ship where they actually filmed inside of it because they actually, the, if you, if you kind of take measurements and look at the episode, it's a little bigger on the inside of, the, of it than it really appears to be from the outside. I mean, they can stand up pretty well in the inside the shuttle on the inside set and things like that. So, but they did a pretty nice job with it. Actually, um, this was uh, the full size mockup was was built by called the the place was called the AMT Corporation at the time, supervised by an automotive designer called his name was Gene Winfield, and the thing I wanted to mention about Gene is he worked actually later on in, in the vehicles and things seen in the movie uh, with Harrison Ford called Blade Runner. If you remember the vehicles there, the spinners that the police flew around in that kind of stuff, a lot of cool sh- cool little uh, vehicles, kind of like shuttles in a way in Blade Runner. Well, the guy that worked on, on this original Galileo ship for Trek also worked on Blade Runner, huh? So what do you know? Anyway, huh, um, but this uh, really good episode. I had a few that I had wanted to talk about this week, but Galileo kind of, I was waking up this morning before I was getting ready to do what I needed to do before I could podcast, and I was saying, you know, there were a couple other ones I really wanted to hit on, and I think I even got an email maybe at one point about the Galileo, so I'm, I'm glad I picked this one because there's just a lot of good stuff to uh, talk about and with that, I'm going to play another clip now. The The thing that uh, is primary in this episode, of course, is Spock being in command. And McCoy and Spock have a lot of good dialogue in this episode between them. And this is the one of the early scenes in the episode where McCoy is kind of 
teasing Spock a little bit about, you know, him being in command for the first time of, of a real mission. So here, listen to this uh, clip and then I'll come back. Well, I can't say much for the circumstances, but at least it's your big chance. A big chance. For what, Doctor? Command. Oh, I know you, Mr. Spock. You've never voiced it, but you've always thought that logic was the best basis on which to build a command. Am I right? I am a logical man, Doctor. Well, it'll take more than logic to get us out of this. Perhaps, Doctor, but I know of no better way to begin. I realize that command does have its fascinations even under circumstances such as these. But I neither enjoy the idea of command, nor am I frightened of it. It simply exists. And I will do whatever logically needs to be done. Excuse me. Well, as usual, uh, the McCoy-Spock banter, you know, Spock kind of put uh, Dr. McCoy in his place there and said, you know, logic will dictate his actions and and it really does in this episode, although, like I said earlier, it, it, it fails it in, in some key spots. He, he doesn't anticipate things very well. He, he doesn't have the intuition of Kirk and the, the experience a little bit, too. And the, the, the people that are with him on the Galileo, don't, they don't really have a lot of faith and confidence and trust in him, which, it, which is you know, really key to a leadership situation. You know, if, if the people around you, your crew or the coworkers, if it's a, like a business situation or whatever, if they... If they don't have confidence in your abilities or believe in you and want to stand behind you, it will really undermine things and, and cause a lot of problems. And, and that's what, you know, there are several times in this episode where they question Spock's, uh, both his abilities and his decisions, which is, uh, which is very, you know, makes it very tricky and very difficult for Spock to try to get the job done. He's trying to get them off the planet. And, you know, his, his alternatives are, are at one point in the early part of the episode uh, to leave some people behind. They don't have enough fuel, too much weight in the shuttle. And Spock's thinking, well, you know, some of them can survive. And the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one or the two or the three. Kind of, you know, uh, sort of a foretelling of, of what goes down in, in the Star Trek two and three movies and that. So it's and, and there's another nice thing that I always liked in this episode that Spock says several times to Scotty, especially he says, you know, there's always possibilities, Scotty, you know, or there's always possibilities in general. You know, when one bad thing happens, you know, Spock, you got to admire him because he doesn't get down about it. He he just, you know, he says there's other angles, there's other things they can try. And that's a good thing to tell the people around him, too, because that, that makes them, forces them to create new ideas and, and new ways for them to, uh, you know, fix the situation that they're in. So anyway, um the, the big problem, of course, in this episode for Spock and everyone on the shuttle is there are these big kind of, you know, giantish, maybe 10 feet tall, kind of ape-like, or I don't know what you want to call them, caveman-like creatures, beings on this planet that, that are in sort of the Stone Age. They have spears, and, and they attack a couple of them a few times, you know, at different points in the episode. And there's um, a couple of crewmen die throughout this. And, and the next clip I'm going to play is... I think this is a discussion, if I remember this clip, about uh, what Spock thinks of the weapons that these creatures are using, these beings are using, and, and their take on it. So so let's listen to that part. Folsom Point. Sir? This remarkable resemblance to the Folsom Point discovered 1925 Old World Calendar, New Mexico, North America. A bit more crude about the shaft, I believe. Not very efficient. Not very efficient? Is that all you have to say? Am I an error, Mr. Boma? You, error? Impossible. Then what, Mr. Boma? 
There's a man lying there dead. And you talk about stone spears. What about Latimer? My concern for the dead will not bring him back to life, Mr. Muller. Mr. Spock, in the interest of efficiency, you don't think we should leave his body here? Bringing him back to the ship should not interfere with our repair efforts. If you need assistance, I'll... We'll do it. Give me a hand with Latimer, will you? So, uh, so again, you know, Spock's analyzing the situation. There's a, one of his crewmen is, is lying dead there at his feet. And he's not uh, like, you know, Kirk would in, in some episodes bend down and get a little teary look in his eye. You know, Spock doesn't do that. He, he's analyzing the situation, trying to figure out what these creatures are all about, you know, what kind of weapons they might have, what to do about that. And then the other guys are like, you know, what, what are you, like a computer, a walking computer? There's a guy here laying dead, one of your crewmen, and and you're talking about spears and junk. And like I said, the the character there that was Boma, played by Don Marshall, who who does a great job in this uh, episode. I really like his character. Kind of wish we had had seen him in, in other episodes. I, I thought that was uh, that was really a you know he had a he had a good uh, a lot of good stuff to do in this show, and it would have been nice to see more of that. Um. And you know Spock, there he's 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 getting some bad feedback. He's getting some bad blood coming from the crewmen about what's what he's doing, and you know he's willing to just leave a dead guy there. You know, in Spock's mind, you know his logical uh, situation that he, the guy's dead. There's nothing they can really do about that, and there's nothing that they can help about that. He doesn't really into the whole like bring him back, bury him kind of thing. That doesn't really matter to Spock. He's more practical, more logical, and he doesn't think that that's really all that necessary. Of course the the Earth guys, the humans there, uh, think otherwise. So that's uh, and it and it's um, it, it's a good scene, good good stuff there. The next uh, clip, there's um, there's a real good point in this episode where they're discussing what what they need to do about these 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 aliens, these these beings that are on the planet with them. They of course have phasers, and they are. Uh, they have some superior weapons that, you know, the crew on the Galileo, of course, but these other guys, there's more of them. They know the terrain. They've got some pretty big weapons and spears and they, you know, they're who knows who would win really or, or whatever. But anyway, they're, they're discussing what to do. And a key point here is the Boma and a, and a couple other ones are, they really are suggesting that they go and, and, you know, take a few of these other guys out, like, you know, really hurt them badly. So they're going to think twice about, doing anything and coming after them. And Spock is really has a problem with that, uh, that idea. He, he's a Vulcan. He's very logical and he, and he really prides himself for, or really is very concerned. He's a vegetarian. He doesn't like to take life at all. Spock has a real over their history of Star Trek. He, he just really has a trouble doing that. He can't do that. that no matter how much somebody else is coming after him, attacking, uh, putting him in danger, it's a he's, he's sort of like I'm using the analogy since I'm a comic fan also of, of Batman in a way. Batman does what he needs to do to get the job done, and and Spock's kind of like that. But Batman will not kill. Batman doesn't want to take a life, at least in general. I know there have been exceptions throughout the course of comics, so don't anyone write me and tell me, oh, Batman has killed or whatever. That's not what I'm trying to say or my analogy at least. It's just Spock really really has trouble with that. And, and this next scene, this next audio clip I'm going to play uh, – really illustrates that situation uh, real well. So listen to this. Oh, Mr. Bummer. By hitting them hard, give them a bloody nose, make them think twice about attacking us. Yes, I agree. 
If we stand by and do nothing, we're just giving them an invitation to come down and slaughter us. Mm. I'm frequently appalled by the low regard you Earthmen have for life. Well, we're practical about it. Now, I say we hit them before they hit us. Mr. Bomber? Absolutely. Dr. McCoy? Seems logical to me. Yes, indeed. It seems logical to me also. To take life indiscriminately. The majority. I'm not interested in the opinion of the majority, Mr. Gatano. Components must be weighed. Our dangers to ourselves as well as our duties to other life forms. Friendly or not. There's a third course. That could get us killed. I think not. Dr. McCoy. Yes. You and Yeoman Mears return to the ship. Assist uh, Mr. Scott in any way possible. We'll be back shortly. Right. Gentlemen. You'll follow my orders. To the letter. Firing only when so instructed. And at my designated targets. Now you're talking. You'll fire to frighten Mr. Gitano. Not to kill. Oh, further. You saw what they did to Latimer. I am in command, Mr. Gitano. The orders and the responsibility will be mine. Follow me. So, uh, like I explained, there's a it's, a it's a pretty critical decision for Spock to make here. Actually, it backfires on him. If those uh, that have seen this episode recall, uh, it, they they really uh, he, by by kind of shooting and, and just sort of frightening or trying to frighten them, they don't react that way. The, the creatures kind of get mad at them and come after the the sh- people on the shuttle. So it's it's really a bad call on Spock's part. He re- really didn't want to go as far as he needed to go in, in hurting the, uh, the the enemy, these these aliens on the planet. And but it's it, it's the way he is. He's a Vulcan. He has trouble with that a lot, and it, it's it's very understandable. The the thing about that clip I find pretty interesting, and this happens throughout Star Trek, especially in the early episodes. I feel Spock kind of loses his temper there just a little bit. I mean, he raises his voice. He he almost yells at the crewmen when they're disagreeing with him. And it's you know it's it's hard to almost say like well Spock I, I I thought you could you know control your emotions it doesn't look like you're controlling your emotions very well so it's it's a little bit of uh, yeah maybe a little a little inconsistency maybe but uh, it, it still works I mean I think he's he's still taking the logical course of action even if he is getting a little hot when he's doing it so uh, let's go on the you know they go through that little scene and then there's a um, the key here, what happens when they're, when Scotty's trying to repair the shuttle, this is more of a plot point, not so much about Spock, but they have, um, they lose all their fuel on the shuttle, whatever that is, whatever fuel it uses, some kind of energy, something. Anyway, it's, uh, they, they need another source. And, and like I was saying, Spock really encourages everyone to think about other possibilities. And Scotty comes up with uh, an alternative fuel source, which is their phaser weapons. And I think it's a really cool idea, and it's it's pretty neat. So let me uh, let Scotty and, and, and explain that more. I can adjust the main reactor to function with a substitute fuel supply. It's all very well, but we don't have a substitute supply. Aye, we do. Our phasers. I can adapt them and use their energy. It'll take time, but it's possible. Probably as they happen to be our only defense. Would also seem to be our only hope. Aye. Yeoman, your phaser. But what if the creatures attack again? They won't attack for at least several hours. By then, with luck, we'll be gone. 
If I can get a full load, we should be able to achieve orbit with all hands. Not that we can maintain it long. You don't have to maintain it very long, Mr. Scott. In less than 24 hours, the Enterprise will be forced to abandon its search in order to make a rendezvous. If we can't maintain orbit after that time, it won't make any difference. If we burn up in a decaying orbit or die here on the planet's surface, we shall surely die. Doctor, your phaser. Well, one thing, uh, one thing I wanted to mention, the, the Yeoman, Yeoman Mirrors, I believe is her name in this episode in the Galileo 7, her, uh, her part, her, that part of a Yeoman was really supposed to go to Yeoman Rand. You know, Yeoman Rand was in the first several episodes of, of the original Star Trek, uh, first season, but she eventually left the show and was kind of written out of things. So basically the, the script originally was written, uh, with Rand in mind for all these Yeoman, uh, lines in part. But they had to obviously replace her with this other yeoman, yeoman mirrors. Anyway, uh, so that's just a little side side note there. Let's uh, let's move along. So Scotty's, you know, he's draining the phasers, sucking the power out of them, putting it into the shuttle. And of course, when when everything seems to be going a little bit better, well, things have to go bad, of course. Then, and that's when the creatures attack the shuttlecraft. And I'm going to play a clip here in a second about that part. Uh, I really like how they did the the interior of the shuttle, the exterior, you know, the way it looks. It it, it seems to fit the, the, you know, fit in really well with the style and the design of the Enterprise in general. And you know, of course, they use the same kind of lettering on the side of it. And it's, uh, I think, way back in, in months ago in the forums, I had posted a link. Uh, you could probably still find it if you go to our forums on the website and, and search, but. The one of these old old studio models of the Galileo, the exterior full scale mock up, was found somewhere in like a an old kind of I don't know what you could want to call it a junkyard of old vehicles, buses, and cars, and it was uh, it was found in that uh, you know old parking thing with you know it was in pretty bad shape. And I've seen different pictures of, of People who had supposedly, I don't know how many of these they eventually made. They were used in a couple of episodes in, in Trek over the three seasons. But I've seen photos of them in different places over the years. I think some people have, have made their own mock-ups of, uh, you know, using the design. It's, a, it's fairly simple, but if you look back in the forums, you can find a, a, a shuttlecraft that looks like it's in, in pretty bad shape. So, anyway, let's move, let's move on. The Yeah, like I said, the next clip I'm going to play is when the creatures attack the shuttlecraft. This... Uh, this of course leads to to uh, Spock coming up with they need to uh, they sort of electrify the hull which scares the creatures away and and that you know they can then finish up the repairs on the ship and get out of there so I'll play that clip for you now. Well, Mister Spock, they didn't stay frightened very long, did they? Most illogical reaction. We demonstrated our superior weapons; they should have fled. You mean they should have respected us? Of course, Mister Spock. Respect is a rational process. Did it ever occur to you they might react emotionally? With anger? Doctor, I'm not responsible for their unpredictability. They were perfectly predictable. To anyone with feeling. You might as well admit it, Mr. Spock. Your precious logic brought them down on us. Why haven't they done anything? They're studying us. For the moment. Another prediction, Mr. Spock? My opinion, Mr. Bomber. windows. Study us, Mr. Spock. They seem to learn rather quickly. All right, Spock, you have all the answers. What now? Oh, my God. 
tone is increasingly hostile. My tone is the only thing that's hostile, Mr. Spock. Curious. Most illogical. And I'm sick and tired of your logic. We could use a little inspiration. Strange. Step by step, I have made the correct and logical decisions. And yet two men have died. Well, yeah, there's a lot more to it, Mr. Spock. A lot more to it than just the, the correct and logical decisions. You have to weigh a lot more things. And th- this episode really brings out the whole idea of, you know, the, the three main, you know, TOS Trek guys, you know, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy as being really the perfect uh, the perfect fit for each other. You know, you have the decision maker, the commander, Kirk, who can take everything in from everyone that's around him, all the information, and use that plus his instincts and his um, intuition and his emotions come up with the right decision. Spock, of course, is the, his best role and best fit is to provide the captain and provide everyone uh, with with a lot of that information from, from his logical scientific view. And then you've got McCoy, who's sort of the, you know, when whenever in doubt and, and he adds that little extra, you know, voice of reason and experience and, and you know, emotions to the mix. And, and it's, it's a really good, good fit for all of them. But here you see it's just Spock and McCoy. And, you know, the big missing piece is, is the command abilities of Captain Kirk. And it, and it really comes out uh, in this episode. But over the years, Spock, I think, will learn, especially from studying Captain Kirk, from, from his own experiences throughout uh, Star Trek history and visiting other worlds and, and a lot of things that go on with him. And he becomes a little more accepting especially within the movie scene, more of his emotions and knows how to use at least the good ones. And in that eventually turns him into a pretty darn good commander. He eventually, you know, in the movies is raised up to captain. He, he is a, a teacher of a lot of new students in Star Trek two. So Spock doesn't stagnate. I mean, he does learn from his mistakes and he does learn a lot in this episode. So, Let's get, uh, I got two more, a couple more clips and we'll be wrapping this up. The, the next one is, the, this one is when they get, uh, they, they get into orbit and they've, uh, they've escaped from the planet at least temporarily and actually, uh, Spock has to use his, um, the boosters on the shuttlecraft, which pretty much, uh, put them into orbit, but not to a very secure orbit. So listen to this clip. Gentlemen, by coming after me, you may well have destroyed what slim chance you had for your survival. The logical thing for you to have done was to have left me behind. Spock, remind me to tell you that I'm sick and tired of your logic. That is a most illogical attitude. Orbit in one minute, Mr. Scott. Fuel status? 15 pounds PSI. Approximately enough for one orbit, sir. After that? Tapping our boosters ended our last chance for a soft landing. You mean a burn-up? That is the usual end of a decaying orbit. I don't want to die up here. Infinitely preferable to the kind of death we'd be granted on the planet's surface, I should think. I admire your ability to make so measured a choice, Mr. Spock. You said a while ago that there were always alternatives. Did I? I may have been mistaken. Well, at least I've lived long enough to hear that. Is there anything we can do? The Enterprise is surely on course for Marcus Three by now. I, for one, do not believe in angels. Well, Mr. Spock, so ends your first command. Yes. My first command. 
Yeah, it's good that Scotty there reminds Spock about his 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 line throughout this episode about there's always possibilities because that's important here at the end because Spock uh, realizes something. He realizes that he has one sort of last-ditch effort that he can do with with what he has in front of him, what he has to work with, and, and that's he, he jettisons the, the little bit of remaining fuel on the Galileo and ignites it. And that basically puts up sort of a distress flare across the, the face of the planet. And as the Enterprise is leaving, they notice the flare. Now, this is a, a desperate act. And it's, it's uh, I'm going to play the, the end little piece of the episode where Kirk kind of calls Spock on this. This is not a logical, uh, really the logical answer would have been for them to try to maintain their orbit as long as possible, hoping that the Enterprise was still near enough that they'd find them when Spock it, you know, sets off the fuel, he really uh, takes a big chance. So listen to this uh, this last clip here. Captain, there's really something I don't understand about all this, and maybe you can explain it to me. Logically, of course, when you jettisoned the fuel and you ignited it, you knew that there was virtually no chance of being seen, and yet you did it anyhow. And that would seem to me to be an act of desperation. Quite correct, Captain. Now, we all know, and I'm sure the doctor would agree with me, that desperation is a highly emotional state of mind. How does your well-known logic explain that? Quite simply, Captain. I examined the problem from all angles, and it was plainly hopeless. Logic informed me that, under the circumstances, the only possible action would have to be one of desperation. Logical decision, logically arrived at. Uh Uh-huh. I see. You mean you reasoned that it was time for an emotional outburst? Well, I wouldn't put it in exactly those terms, Captain, but those are essentially the facts. You're not going to admit that for the first time in your life, you committed a purely human, emotional act? No, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Spock... You're a stubborn man. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yes, Mr. Spock, you are a stubborn man. And that pretty much wraps up the uh, discussion on the Galileo 7. I think it's a really, really good first season Star Trek episode, one that's uh, got a lot of good Spock's, you know, information in it. And he, he really, by the end of the episode, he's learned a lot. And it's a, it's a, it's really, um, really well done. I really like this one a lot. And it was great to comment on it for everyone. So that's, uh, that's it for Star Trek this week. I am going to take, as usual, a, a quick little break, and then I'm going to come back and talk about a collectible. Take my love, take my land, take me where I cannot stand. I don't care, I'm still free. You can't take the sky from me. Okay, this week, uh, the collectible segment is going to be, it's something that, a prop replica that uh, I actually painted and finished it up myself. It's from a, a resin version of this what I'm going to talk about since I've been watching a lot of Stargate uh, lately with the new seasons of both shows on, which I'm really enjoying. This uh, The replica that I'm going to talk about this week is uh, a version of from Stargate SG-1, 
it's the Zat gun that they use uh, uh, periodically throughout the show, throughout the seasons. This is, of course, I think it was created by the Gould. Excuse me. The uh, this was the weapon that basically, if you if you blasted somebody once with it, I think it just knocked them out. If you blasted them twice, you could kill them. Sort of, uh, sort of Egyptian-ish kind of uh, looking, sort of a snake type thing, and it would sort of spring open when they would uh, get ready to fire it, and then fire it, and it could spring closed again. Really cool little item, a lot different than your typical uh, phaser, blaster, gun that usually is seen in a in a sci-fi or fantasy kind of uh, setting. Well, I really like this a lot. I, I painted it up, and I think it came out pretty good. I will link uh, some pictures in my uh, collection gallery on the website to it. it sort of has a brown-gold kind of look to it with some accent color. It's a, uh, like I said, it's it's a static piece. It doesn't move or open or really make any lights or noises or sounds. This is this is a uh, kind of a fan-made item, but I think it came out pretty good. It looks good. It, it has a little stand for it. It's it's made out of resin plastic, basically, and just finished up to, to match what's on the show. There are some, uh, uh, one company in particular, I think, that I, they haven't put out a lot yet at all that I know, but there's a new company that's supposed to be putting out some new Stargate replicas, and if I get a chance, I'll uh, I'll link those in the pod- link that company up in the podcast notes. I think they're going to do a, a staff weapon from the show, maybe some more Zat guns, maybe a miniature little Stargate, uh, and a lot of cool stuff. So, uh, so for the Stargate fans out there, you know, not a Trek prop, uh, but uh, a, a definitely a cool one if you're a Stargate fan to look at. And I, I think I, you know, they have these things periodically on eBay, and I think you can find little kits to make these. Not very expensive. Just buy a couple of cans of uh, spray paint and things and, and at the uh, local store, and, and you're in business. So nice little uh, fairly inexpensive prop, but uh, one that I really like. Well, I think uh, I think that's just about going to wrap it up for me for this week's episode or this week's uh, podcast of uh, Treks in Sci-Fi. I think got through everything I really wanted to cover. A, cu- a couple little last things. Uh, if you, There's a... Um, a place that's on a collectible line of things, putting out a, a really cool robot replica from the Lost in Space TV series. It only costs twenty five thousand dollars. I'll try to put a link uh, to them in the podcast notes, and also, of course, any more information for, that uh, goes along with this podcast, I'll have in the notes section. Next week's uh, show, and I am going to still throw out an occasional Wednesday show. Maybe even this coming Wednesday, I might have a, a short little mini cast come out. But next weekend, I think I am going to do a Deep Space Nine episode next weekend on the podcast. Again, I haven't quite decided which episode and what I wanted to throw out there for everyone listening to the show. If there's a particular episode of Deep Space Nine that you would like me to look at, send me an email at treksf at gmail.com, and maybe I'll pick uh, pick that one. There's a couple in mind I have, uh, but I can uh, definitely be influenced by... Uh, the listeners out there. So send me an email. And let me know what you think for Deep Space Nine uh, for you, some of your favorite episodes that you'd like me to uh, look at for a podcast. And I think that's uh, just about all I've got to say. So until uh, next time, either Wednesday or next weekend, everyone have a nice uh, and uh, safe week and stay cool. Stay out of the heat if you're if it's hot where you're at, which I think it's pretty much hot everywhere right now. And uh, go see a movie in a nice, cool, air-conditioned theater. I haven't caught a lot of the more recent movies that have come out. I haven't seen Lady in the Water yet, which is one I'd like to see. I was thinking about Monster House. I, I heard that was pretty good. And there's a couple other ones. Might even see that Miami Vice movie. I don't know. 
haven't seen my super ex girlfriend yet, so I'm I'm getting behind on my movie, so I gotta get caught up. Uh, but anyway, everyone, thanks for listening again. I really appreciate uh, everyone who takes the time to listen to this show, and I will talk to you again soon. This is Rico. Bye bye for now. This has been a Rick Dosty production. This podcast, copyright 2006, all rights reserved.